and I was looking around for a brick to pick up to throw at it in case it turned on me and when I picked up the brick I looked around and it walked right down and away into the night. Seeing is believing and I have no proof of what I saw that day other than what I can describe. It was huge. It was like the weightlifter of cats. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter and thanks for joining me. Hello, welcome. This is episode 46 of Big Cat Conversations. We have two different guests, both of whom were walking their dogs in their local country park in different places in the East Midlands. They had encounters in their local country parks, and those country parks are 22 miles apart. Later we'll meet Tom from Leicester, but our first guest is Matt, who lives on the Nottinghamshire and Derbyshire border, and he's close to Cotgrave Country Park, which is where his sighting occurred. So Matt, welcome, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Great, thank you Matt, and the dog is Branston, he's a chocolate lab, what a fantastic name. Yeah, he's a pretty boisterous dog, so uh, he's a bit of a character. Great, we'll hear about him in a minute then. So um, before this all happened, Matt, what did you know about possible big cats in Britain? Very little. Um, I think I remember holidaying with my family in Cornwall years ago and my dad used to perhaps mention the beast of Bodmin to scare us all, if you know what I mean. But (laughs) other than, like, nothing at all. Because I remember after the encounter, one of the first things I Googled was the beast of Bodmin. So... That was my sort of limited knowledge of the big cat phenomenon in Britain, really. Did you think the Beast of Bodmin was real? As a kid, I, I think um, I did back then. I believe my dad that, that, you know, there might be a big cat coming out to get us. But <laughs> in later years, I, I would have dismissed that totally, to be honest, until... Yeah, until what happened. Well, tell us all about what happened. Yeah, so we'd been camping, actually, in the, in the country park. It was a friend's birthday. And a few of us had camped over and uh, I took Branston with us. He'd love that sort of thing. So I'd got up pretty early. It was 4th of August, 2019. So, and I'd got up early. I'd got tickets to the Charity Shield in London. So I'd got to get up. The football match at Wembley. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I knew I'd got to get up early, get the dog walked, get home, get changed and get myself to London. So it's about 5.30, 6 o'clock in the morning. And like I say, we were just walking along and you always, as a dog walker, you're always quite vigilant of what's going on around. And in the distance, I could see this big black dog is what I thought. And I was like, well, where's the owner? That's a, yeah, it's a big old dog and it's on its own. We sort of carried on towards it and I've sort of, I've leaded Branston because I didn't want him, like I say, boisterous dog. He'd, he'd run across, he'd cause chaos was what I was thinking. So I've got him on the lead with me now, but we carried on sort of walking. And I'm looking and I'm trying to guess the breed. I'm thinking, is it, is it a Doberman, Cane Corso? You know, it's a big black dog. And as I'm approaching, it's walking quite slowly and quite in, in a manner that, you know, cat, very cat-like. And that's when your mind starts going, is it a dog? That's not a dog. I was getting closer and that's when you start to realise that, that's a panther. And that's when, you know, it plays all sorts of tricks on, on the mind, really. Because I was like, it can't be. 
it, you know, we're Nottingham, but that's a Panther. And, and you know, I stood still and I started walking towards it even still to just verify what I was seeing, if you know what I mean. And uh, at that time, you know, the Panther hadn't seen us. But then he sort of went side profile on it. It was like sort of investigating a overgrown area. And uh, he went like side profile. And that's, you know, that's where you sort of, that, that's definitely a cat. That, that is not a dog. That's a huge cat. And that's where you start, you know, the, your feelings, your blood starts pumping, adrenaline starts pumping. And uh, you start to think, what am I going to do here? I've leaded Branston because he was such a boisterous dog. He charged towards another dog. He wouldn't listen to any shout to come back. He'd want to go and play or get involved in a game of chase. So I've, I've seen it before, Branston. So I've got him on his lead straight away. As you got closer, was he seeing it? Was he reacting at all? Yeah, well, what I'd say is his reaction for Branston was totally different to what it would be if another dog was there. He, he saw, as I'm watching, he sat by my side in a very alert, sort of vigilant, and he's looking in that direction, totally against his normal character. He's not trying to get to go and see this. He's staying with me. I mean, I've, I've been to the States before and I was planning a visit to Yosemite and you read up on how to react if you uh, come across a puma. Yeah. Certain thing. It was like walk backwards slowly, <laughs> keep eye contact and all, all that thing. Because Branston wasn't my dog and his family dog, how do I explain? Well, I saw a big cat. I got close. Branston got savaged. <laughs> you know, this is my reaction. I need to sort of get him away from this situation. Not even thinking about myself, but I'm like, I need to get him away. So we, we sort of backed off and then uh, I sort of got, got us back to the camping ground and actually <laughs> hid in the toilet block for a little bit as I was calming down. And so it was, it was, I can't believe it. And I was waiting for someone to, one of the, you know, the people we we're camping with to wake up and, you know, get involved and, and tell them what had happened really. Yeah. So that was early in the morning. That's why it was about perhaps. What sort of time was that in the morning? Between half five and six. Okay. Yeah. How long was the whole sighting and encounter for? Well, from when I first seen it, I'd say that it was a good three, three to five minutes really, because as I've seen, oh, I, my first reaction is big dog. So I've carried on walking towards with a leader Branston. And then I've stood still and froze for, it seemed longer, if I'm honest. And then you're making these decisions. Do I get closer? You know, do I go, go in and, or do I hang back? It was, yeah, it seemed a long time. Was it aware of you at any time? It looked over at us. And that's where I sort of, once it like looked over towards it into our, in our direction, that's when I started to back up because I thought, well, it's seen us now. It didn't move. It stayed there. It was side profile on now. And like I say, it was investigating something in front. But when it looked at us, I sort of like, that was it. We need to start going the other way because that's definitely not a dog, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. What distance was it when you got closest? I'd say we were about 40 feet away. Okay, that is close. That is pretty close. Uh, yards, sorry, yards. Not oh, yards. see, 40 yards, yeah, fair enough. Well, that's still good enough, yeah. Did, did at any time the thought about getting a mobile phone out and snapping a picture occur to you? Well, it didn't. And, and you know, and a few things with that, because that's the first question. Whenever you tell someone, did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive, because when you say no, 
People say, well, it didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's what I've come across. You're on the back foot of what's, just, you know, your little story or, you know, what you're going through. And a couple of examples, really, is we had the Lamagaya visit the UK. The bearded vulture wow. came over this year. And that was up at Lady Bower. In the Peak District, the big reservoir in the Peak District. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and it was roosting there. It came over from the Alps. Fantastic, huge wingspan. We went up to see it. Great. I never took a photo. I never thought of taking a photo. It, it's not sort of inbuilt in my mind that I've got to snap everything, if you know what I mean. But then I, when I have tried to take a photo in the wildlife, it's generally been a disaster. I, I found a badger set this summer, and I was going late evening, but before it went dark, uh, to, uh, I saw it three times in a row. And third time, I went to take a photo. And from, you know, that was more like 20 yards away. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't capture anything. You sort of look at the photo. I think I can make out where it is. But my, I'd show my partner, I've seen that badger again. Where? <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? Sounds like a typical big cat photo. Very much so. But like I say, this is, you know, I've got like an iPhone 8. So I'd like to think I've got like a pretty decent camera phone. So I can understand why there's so much um, doubt around the photos because the quality of them, because it doesn't really capture, you know, anything of, of note. Yeah, there's a reason why professional photographers have long lens cameras, <laughs> expensive equipment. Yes, definitely, definitely. What was the light like? So that was um, reasonably light at that time in the morning. Yeah, it, it was August, so the sun was coming up. It was darkish when we set off, hmm. but when we had the encounter, it was getting pretty light. So like I say, it was more like, like quarter to six, 6 a.m., hmm. uh, like I say, 4th of August, so... You know, it was very bright at that point. It was getting brighter. What would you say the state of Branston was when he'd fully realised what it was like you had? Did did you see him getting more tense and nervous or did he just stay a little bit reserved and uh, just not interested? He seemed so obedient. You know, this is a rowdy, crazy dog that wants to go and chase and run and play constantly. And all of a sudden he's, like I say, when I've stood still, he's sat perfectly next to me really close and when we we went away he seemed quite happy let's go there was no <laughs> I want to go back towards I want to find out what that is he was having none of it he seemed alert he was he, you know he was looking at it he was he didn't want to get involved which strange for that dog with you having him on the lead say you thought about taking a photo and were minded to take a photo or, or put put the phone onto video or whatever, do you think it would have made it more difficult because you were preoccupied with him? It's like when you see anything of interest, the instant reaction just wouldn't have been to pull the camera out. Once realising what I was seeing, you know, and it started to really dawn on me, the consequences, because I think, right, that's, like I say, that's a panther. It's bigger than my dog. That's, you know, looking at it, it looks bigger than Branston. Hmm. That's not an encounter I want then to get any further because one, he's not my dog. He's a family dog. I just couldn't imagine if anything happened to him. So it was, it was get out there really. Although my initial instinct was to get closer and just confirm what I was seeing because anything of curiosity, that's what your initial reaction. So then you find yourself backing up and like I say, hiding in the toilet block, essentially two extremes really. Can we have a good description of the animal itself, Matt, please? Large black cat, um, long curved tail, slender as well. The, the body was slender. 
I've sort of watched wildlife programs. And you see a bulky, big leopard. It was quite slender and it, it was long. And I think I sent you a photo of a cat that almost matched it as much as I could. I, I was looking through all the photos on Google, trying to find a photo of what sort of match what. It was like a female black leopard on a very severe diet, I would say. Yes, yeah. I think that is, that, that's, I think that's the description. It's really weird what happens when you've had an encounter. Well, what happened to me is that you sort of slightly become obsessed with the whole thing. So you stop. I joined umpteen Facebook groups and seen what was going on. And one of my friends actually bought me your book for Christmas. And in your book, Frank Turnbridge has got a picture in there that someone's actually drawn. And if I was to, like, draw it myself, I think that's what I draw. You know what I mean? That's That was like the hearing these sort of things, the validation that I'm not going crazy is that other people are seeing this and that's where that sort of led. Very interesting because Frank would make the point and I think some of the descriptions do fit this and it's interesting that you found a photo which fits it that maybe we're seeing an adaptation because it's not a perfect leopard but it's closer than anything else to a leopard but we don't know for sure it's a leopard but it's a big black leopard-like cat because it's got the tail and it's got the the shoulder blades and and the body form pretty much like a leopard but is it an adaptation or frank would always leave the question open about you know is there some kind of hybridization but what did you judge it was? If you, I mean, I think you said in your email you think it was a female melanistic leopard. Based on the fact that trawling through photos, that was that was sort of the conclusion I came to. That's what it had got to be. I felt from the sideway view that the ears looked more pointed than round, and I think I put that that was the, like the inconsistency against reading what everyone else sees. But I can only judge this on my encounter and what my eyes were seeing. So that leads you down a route where you're sort of saying, well, you look at a puma's face and it was, you know, head shape, and you're sort of saying, is it more of that? And I don't know about the hybrids. Well, none of us do, Matt, to be honest. It's, it's new ground, but a lot of people won't go there. But I think it's good to have an open mind on a lot of these things. It's just, it's just anything that doesn't conform, a bit like yours, is interesting because it's a very credible report, obviously, in, in every respect. But... To have that slight anomaly in the in the description, in the ears and the sort of body form, does just raise a few questions. But then the one you sent a photograph of, although it's not a normal black leopard, it is a black leopard. It's labelled as a black leopard, isn't it? Yes, yeah. It took some trawling to find that photo, if I'm honest. So. Yeah, and what do you think it was doing? At first it was just slowly having a walk, really. But then, like I say, it stopped next to a bit of an overgrown area like taking a bit of interest, whether it was potentially hunting a, a rodent or a, or a rabbit or something, uh, that's sort of my gut feeling. Did it look confident and fit and healthy and all that? Yeah, it was definitely confident. You know, when it's looked at me, it's not decided to go anywhere else. It's sort of, I'm comfortable, I'm here. It seemed like I say, it was going to carry on doing what it was doing. Yeah, how far away was it from where the punters, the visitors in the country park would have been in sort of an hour or two's time? 10, 15 minute walk. Like I say, once I backed off out of sight, I sort of got a bit of a jog on, to be honest. It seemed like 10 or 15 minutes away from where we was. It was away from the main hub of the park. Where we were camped, is it like a scout camp? That's a bit out of the country park itself anyway. 
surrounded by fields and, and woodland. So it was sort of on the edge of the woodland, so many fields that he could head away from. So, Did it raise questions to you about how come an animal like that can live undercover close to where there'll be a lot of visitors and dog walkers close to a major city? It does show the point about how stealthy and secretive these animals are. They can live close to people and we don't even know it. Yeah, I mean, when you look at how vast our countryside is and the fact that we're generally led by footpaths as we go around. So if you're a creature like that, you can sort of guess where the people are going to be. I'd have thought that they can remain hidden. If you set out to go and see a badger, it's a very difficult thing to do. No guarantee you're going to see one. And if you think of the badger population against what we, well, what you potentially think the big cat population could be, it becomes very much a needle in a haystack. There's so much area and place where they could thrive because of the deer population, the rabbits. I mean, just on rabbits alone, I think. So what did you do immediately afterwards and later days? You said you looked on Facebook and told the people you were camping with, presumably, as well. Yeah, so I got back to the camp. So I told everyone that was there, everyone just totally dismissed it. Like I was a raving lunatic. And these are my friends. And they're like, you didn't, you're wrong. I'm like, I know what I've just seen. And even to the point, I've actually, before coming on tonight, I text one of my mates just to make sure it was the right location. And he's like, you didn't see it. He's adamant it just didn't happen. He's not having any of it. So, But what does he know about the subject? Have you asked him that? Oh, well, nothing, nothing, to be fair. He's, no, he's never looked into it. I think out of all my friends, I've got like, there's about four people that have taken on my account that, and actually say, yeah, you know, that's really plausible. I can see that happening. One of them uh, is, is my uncle's partner who's very much into wildlife conservation and quite educated on, on the subject. You do find yourself seeking validation from people. It's great to see all these encounters on, on your podcasts and it brings a bit of sanity back to yourself that you're not like, you aren't seeing things. Because like I say, that encounter, it doesn't make any sense against anything that I previously believed. And when I first started looking on social media, the starting point was sort of lost exotic pets because it was, well, it's got to be a pet that has, that's got out from somewhere. Is it a zoo? That's my starting point, not a wild panther in Cotgrave. That's grown up in Britain. Yes, yes. And you start doing the research and getting a, an understanding of potentially where this could have started and how it could have developed. And, there's all these encounters and evidence. They're definitely there, I think, anyway. Do I think I'll ever see one again? No, I don't. I just think I was very lucky to have the encounter. But yet you were scared as well. Oh, yeah, 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 very much so. But still, you know, someone can't take away what I actually did see, and I think that's fantastic. People pay big money to go over to uh, Africa to go and see a leopard. <laughs> I never do. Yeah, yeah. It's it's one of the ones you're not guaranteed, isn't it? A leopard in Africa on on safari. Is it a talking point when you sort of meet people now, or you're a little bit hesitant because you feel some people ridicule you? Generally, talk to people that I've got a love for wildlife, like my bird watching friends, people like that. I feel very comfortable in saying I've, I've had this encounter. If I was to talk to the lads at football about it, they'd just laugh me out of the pub. So it's it, <laughs> I wouldn't even bring it up. Mind you, I, I go to football and I've got two friends at the football who've seen them. 
it shows you what a chance issue it is, isn't it? What a chance factor it is in life about how you go about your business. And even if you're out in the countryside all the time, you might not see one, but driving around, uh, you might. <laughs> so, Yeah, definitely. To be honest, afterwards, you know, like going into Peak District, I find a carcass, I found a sheep's carcass at one point. And I was with my cousin and I'm going, could be a big cat. And <laughs> if you know what I mean, I don't think it was. But it's suddenly, that's how your mind's went. When it's going dark at night, every shadow, uh, this was just like not long after the encounter, every shadow, I was like, what's that? You know, <laughs> wishing it was going to be there, if, if anything. The influence on you as a human being, is it a good influence or does it not merely matter? Or, uh, you know, emotionally, how has it influenced you? I feel lucky that it happened. I think it'd be great if someone could come out and say that, they're part of the, the UK wildlife now. You know, if we had enough evidence and sort of qualify it, you've had an episode on rewilding. This has sort of come from maybe released captive animals, but hey, what a story, really, if they've managed to survive and, and breed. It, I think it, it's a great story. I think it's a fascinating topic. And yeah, I'm very positive about it, yes. What about any downsides? What if you knew that one had killed a dog, not necessarily Branston, but you know, if dogs were in danger in that country park? Yeah, that's distressing, obviously. And I think, because there isn't many of them, I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. I think it'd be very rare instances. At the minute, I'm not worried about it. I've walked my dogs anywhere. I'd potentially go to a site where you've had a podcast about a sighting and I'd feel comfortable walking my dogs in that area. Okay. What about um, gossip locally? Uh, have you heard any? Definitely after the event, I was became a bit of a looking everywhere. Has anyone seen anything? I, I did find back in uh, November 19 that someone had posted on Facebook about uh, there's a town called Bleasby and they put like the Bleasby Beast, three and a, they'd seen a three and a half foot black cat. And then two or three people have commented, I think I've seen that by the canal a few years earlier. And that's about 12 miles from where I've recorded the sighting. So that was like a, a big moment, really, when I saw that. And that'd be just Googling big cats or something. And it came, you know, I found it as a post. I never got in touch with anyone about it or any of the postees. It was just, a, like I say, it was curiosity. I just kept looking on the social media. Because Nottinghamshire, actually, it's not a busy county compared to some, and that may be because there genuinely aren't many big cats there, or it may be because it's not an area with a really active Facebook group or recording history of people that are trusted to take sightings. It's not quite on the radar as much as some places, so difficult to know the reasons for that. Yeah, I think if you look on the map, though, um, Cotgrave's sort of heading towards that Lincolnshire way, which is quite prominent on your uh, podcast and it sort of uh, takes you to that Loughborough, Leicestershire, very close to there. So I think there are areas around there where potentially there's been sightings. I don't really understand how the cat would settle down. Would it be going from point to point? I don't really know. Would it settle in an area or would it be looking to settle? I don't understand how a cat would sort of settle on a place to live. That's a big puzzle for really for all of us that you know their territories. Obviously, they'll have a territory, but in Britain, you know, with so many, so much wild natural prey available, would they need a big territory? Uh, but it might well be very flexible because it's not like they're hemmed in in their native countries. They're often hemmed in with neighbouring cats, so a territory is meaningful. 
we just have to speculate how they operate in their territories in Britain. I do take your point. I think that corner of Nottinghamshire is close to Leicestershire, is close to Lincolnshire. If you sort of draw the catchment that way, then it is closer to other historical sightings. Are you on the alert in your when you go out walking dogs or travelling as a as a holiday maker or everything? Do you, do you sort of go out your way to try and look for tracks? I'm field based uh, with my my job, so I cover like the Oxfordshire area, Bedfordshire, and when I've been out with my clients, I've sort of said, "Have you ever heard of big cat sightings?" And I've had you know one guy in Bedfordshire say, "Yeah, they're, they've been seen all around these forests." So I've sort of booked my hotel <laughs> to then go and have a look. Excellent. I've got cause to say that I think Bedfordshire's active at the moment. Um, so, yeah, do keep your eyes peeled if you're in Bedfordshire. Anything else you'd like to say? Anything else we haven't covered that you'd like to say to listeners before we sign off? Just have an open mind on the topic. I mean, I've, I've seen eagle owls, lammergeiers, I've seen a basking shark in this country, but nothing's quite caught my attention like a panther. The eagle owl... Kept coming up in the local paper, there was an eagle owl in the local area uh, that was being spotted in these woods. And my dad's big twitching my dad was before he passed away. And it landed on our close and it roosted on my dad's bungalow. Brilliant. No tag on it. I remember once driving down the street and it was on the floor. One of my friends uh, has owls. And she's like, can you see a tag? I was like, I can't see a tag on it. I'm like parked almost in front of me and I can't couldn't see a tag and then it went long after that there was the uh, program was on the tv about the reintroduction up in Barnsley so it was an escapee that just didn't have a tag or it was a thing but that that literally happened on my dad's street all the neighbors wanted and, and this is what you were just sort of talking about about the impact on people being scared like all the neighbors have got cats they wanted it gone they want someone to come and shoot it <laughs> do you know what I mean because they thought it had the potential and the uh, reputation for taking cats, possibly. Yeah, more perhaps the potential than anything. I mean, I, I don't think it would do it, but the fact that it was on the road, that it landed on the floor, I, I felt was a really strange thing for a wild bird of prey to do. They're going to see a tawny owl, can hear them, can never see them. We still think it was domestic, but you never know. There was no tag on it, which was the, the weird one. My dad had got his scope set up in the middle of the close. All the neighbours, like I say, they'd be coming to my dad and, you know, are the cats going to, we're keeping the cat in. And it was quite an exciting little thing that happened. And I remember it being in the local paper, quite a big thing. A wild, unruly creature that people can't control and that people are, are slightly scared of. It does put us in our place, doesn't it? No, definitely. I've twice turned up to places where I'm following up a sighting of a big cat. Obviously, I've done that many times, but two of the times in the past, people have said to me, and we've also got an eagle owl here. We don't tell anybody about that either. Wow. So again, I think people do become a bit protective of a special, unusual thing, even if they're a little bit edgy about it, because they see it as potentially vulnerable and a little bit a special moment in their lives. It's visiting their area and a few of them know it. And so it is funny how people club together and keep things secret, isn't it? Definitely. When we went to see the Lamagaya, we bumped into a guy. He was set up in a really weird place in this field. And I remember saying to Tim, who I was out with, I said, this guy knows where where this Lama guy is. He's on it. We need to go over. And he went, no, I'm not getting involved in all that. I've, I've seen it. It comes over sometimes. 
you know, and we was like, what are you looking for? And he's got that pen area, pin badge on his jacket. And Tim's gone, oh, um, is there any pen areas around here, you know? And uh, no, there's nothing around here like that. No, you know, this guy's, he's perched. That's what he's doing. Because that was like five o'clock in the morning. We, we knew we'd got a two hour walk to the roosting site to go and see the llama guy. So he was definitely doing that. Again, it's that, like you say, it's a protective nature. And throwing you off the case. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that's the dilemma, isn't it? The mixed emotions and the the wanting to get close to something that's special and rare and, and very powerful, but uh, not wanting to give away all of its secrets either. <laughs> I've got a, a bit of an interest in it now. I keep an eye on, you know, I'm listening to the podcast. I'm looking for that information all the time because I, I think it's a great mystery. If it does come to the fore and we do get some really good, clear evidence, you know, it'd be great to be there and say to people, told you I wasn't lying. <laughs> I'd see a panther. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, I hope your friends um, live to regret teasing you <laughs> at some time in the future. <laughs> yeah. Give our best regards to Branston. <laughs> Thanks very much for coming on the show, Matt. Great to hear from you. Thank you very much. We now welcome Tom Mears from Leicester. We're going to hear about Tom's incident, which was in his local country park on the edge of Leicester, and this was featured in the press recently, including on the website of the Sun newspaper. The video Tom took has really got people talking, and there are several different interpretations of what the animals are that Tom filmed. So we'll discuss all that in a minute. First, welcome Tom. Thanks for coming on the show. Uh, Thank you for having me, Rick. We're going to be talking about an incident in your local country park, which is Castle Hill Country Park on the north edge of Leicester. The main Leicestershire investigator for many years now has been Nigel Spencer. When this happened in the press, he mentioned to me that this was an area where there have been big cat reports for many, many years. The location didn't surprise him at all. And the date was, we're talking about right at the end of January, are we? Uh, yeah, that's actually one of the things the papers got wrong. It was the 29th of January, my sighting. OK, fine. Well, we will talk about the video, but can we first of all just have your complete description of the incident as it happened as a witness with you and your dog? Can you take us through the whole event, please? Uh, sure. I was walking my dog. I've got a, a young puppy around the country park, as I do pretty much every day. We're quite fortunate to live right at the edge of the park. I'd just about decided to turn home because it was getting dark. We were coming over a rise in the path. Not a big rise at all, but enough to obscure what was on the other side. And as we are going over the other side, my dog was in front of me on the path, about 20 yards in front. And then as I crested the hill, I caught a movement in my periphery and stopped and looked. And there, about 15 metres away was the well, the animals. Immediately, I started to worry about my dog because being a young dog, he's not had much of a socialisation experience over lockdown. And he either tries to get involved running, he's chased foxes and all sorts. So I was immediately worried that he could uh, get injured. Mm -hmm. And the animals had frozen as I crested the hill. So I was able to have a look, but because it was so dim, I wasn't able to see what was there. 
I decided to initially try to pretend to my dog that I was ignoring the animals so that I could get closer to him to control him. So I didn't look at him because he often looks where I'm looking. And I moved towards him. But as soon as I moved, the animals moved. And I had to look over again. And they were, at this point, they were in the middle of that clearing. My footage started when they were nearer towards the undergrowth. But as soon as they started moving, my dog noticed and immediately became terrified. So I stopped moving. They stopped moving. And I decided I couldn't tell what was going on. So I reached for my phone, trying to control my dog with my hand signals as well. But when I looked over at him, he was absolutely terrified. And uh, I've never seen him in such a state of terror. His ears were pulled right back. He was frozen to the spot. Uh, he was off lead at this point as well, so that's why I was so worried. He had dug his front paws into the ground, like leaning away from the animals in a real rictus of terror. That's when I started filming, really. The animals had moved away. I stepped off the path at some point to try to get closer. My thought process at the time were foxes initially. I thought it was foxes mating. The positioning seemed right. And I did think that it was possibly foxes locked in. I didn't know too much about that phenomenon at the time, but I just knew that it could happen. I wasn't aware of any of the positioning or anything. Mm -hmm. uh, my eyes have since been opened in that respect. But I approached the animals a little bit more and they, they moved away. I was feeling quite guilty about you know interrupting whatever had been going on. And I was possibly the cause of them getting locked together. As I approached, I was now thinking foxes mating isn't quite right. This doesn't look right. That one animal was bigger than the other. I couldn't tell what was going on. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe animals have got stuck in something, you know, jumping over a fence they've got tangled or something. So I was wondering if I needed to call the RSPCA at some point. And that's why I really started to film, just in case I needed to prove anything. And also to possibly satisfy my curiosity after. That's when I started filming. My dog was still frozen in terror. I was still aware that he was off the lead, but at the same time, he wasn't going anywhere. And I was able to control him with hand signals and looking over at him. And yeah, the rest of the footage really speaks for the rest, although it is not the best. I suppose it was the dim light, really, that explains the grainy, ambiguous footage which is frustrating all of us because it's so tantalizing isn't it and allows us to make our own interpretations of it incidentally did you at any stage feel it could have been dogs not while i was there no because of what was going on it it seemed too wild and i've not seen any other dog walkers around the thing about that country park is you have the a46 running straight down the middle of it and uh, me and my dog had come around one quarter of the park to get to where we were and what I was seeing just didn't look like dogs to me. It looked like foxes, foxes possibly with a deer or something. I couldn't see anything that would have suggested dogs, so I, I suppose that's why I didn't think it. And also the absence of an owner anywhere around. Tom, did you notice any tails on the animals that would suggest cats rather than foxes or any other type of mammal? Yes. At the time, I did come away wondering about a big cat, but I'm not a big cat investigator, amateur novice, or any anything else. In my childhood, I'd read several Wilbur Smith books, and an image had stuck with me from those books about tails swishing above the grass. And when the animals retreated behind the grass, 
there was a flicking, swishing tail there, which struck me as more feline than canine or a fox tail. It was a ropey tail, and it seemed to be able to articulate from the end. I always think dog tails don't wag just from the base, really, but this had a lot more control to it. We ought to have the dog's name, by the way. Your dog's name. What's the name of the dog? Bilbo. So you'd not seen him react like this. To what extent did you feel it was a priority to put him on the lead rather than you to film? Or did you feel, well, he's there, he's not being attacked, I can get the camera out and try and put him on the lead as well? Initially, I really wanted him on the lead, but when I looked at him and saw how frozen in terror he was, I knew he wasn't going to go anywhere. If anything, he was going to run off, but I kept on checking on him. I very quickly became reassured that he wasn't going to approach the scene and get hurt, which was my initial theory, uh, my initial fear, sorry. Mm. But yeah, I, I was quite satisfied that he wasn't going to do that. And he's got quite separation anxiety as well, so I was quite satisfied that he wasn't going to run off either. I did stop the footage after about 28 seconds to put him on the lead because his terror did grow as we were watching. Do you think he would be as terrorised and traumatised as he was had it been foxes mating in front of him? He's chased them before. I've got footage of him chasing foxes. He, uh, he sees them as other canine friends, or at least objects of curiosity, nothing to do with terror. At the time, I honestly didn't know what I was looking at, and I had very little time to process it. But coming away from it and reviewing it after, I thought, yeah, my dog was terrified. That's probably not foxes because that's not his usual reaction to those. You weren't sure what you were looking at at the time, but what was your emotional state as events unfolded? Mostly I was worried about my dog (laughs) to begin with. I was worried that he was going to go over. And then when I was satisfied by that, on that count, I then became worried that my presence had led to the animals getting locked together. And then I was concerned that there were animals that were needing help. After the 28-second footage that was on the newspapers, I did put my dog on the lead and then approached the undergrowth. It was really when I was approaching then that I started to feel threatened. I was uh, hurriedly scanning with my phone backwards and forwards through the undergrowth because I was uh, (laughs) starting to question the sense of what I was doing, the sensibility of what I was doing at that point, because... I think we're starting to process that perhaps this wasn't foxes. This might have been something a little bit more unexplained. It was just a feeling. There was no visual at that stage or anything that you could hear that was making you feel threatened. It was just that you were coming to a conclusion that it it might have been something bigger and more predator-like. Yes. Yeah, I think I'd got that impression that it was bigger and more predator-like when the one animal was appearing to drag the other animal away. I think I'd reached that conclusion when it disappeared behind the undergrowth. And when I then approached, after the initial relief of having the dog on the lead, it was then that I was able to process a bit more, I think. And as I was approaching, I was thinking, this is exactly what you shouldn't be doing. Even if it's um, something else more native to the country, like a badger or something, you know, they're going to be possessive of a food item and didn't react well to my presence because they froze and then ran away from me. I satisfied myself that animals didn't need my help or the RSPCA or anything because they were able to move faster than me. And then I decided to stop investigating. 
Did you hear the animals at any stage during this whole incident? No. The road there was quite loud. I think the animals were silent throughout. I would think if it was dogs fighting or squabbling, particularly at the early stages, I would have heard the growling because they were very close. Let's have your interpretation of events again once you'd reviewed your footage. To what extent did it influence you and change your mind or reinforce your hunch? Before you got any other opinions, when you reviewed the footage yourself, what did you start to think? When I reviewed the footage myself, I was able to review it frame by frame and zoom in, which unfortunately I don't think anybody else has been able to do, which was actually one of the reasons why I'd uh, presented it to the press, hoping that somebody would be able to tell me what I was looking at. Because when I reviewed it, I had the hunch, particularly when the animal was dragging the other one away, that it was a feline-like animal dragging away a food item. I keep on wanting to say prey, but in talking to big cat investigators, there's a difference, isn't there, food item versus prey? I mean, the very early stages, if something's being predated and it, it's wriggle-free, then it's not a food item. But I think if it's clamped it and got it and it's not going to give it up, then I think it is a, a food item, isn't it? You went to the press not to sort of say, hey, look, I've filmed a big cat. You went to the press because you were looking for help to clarify and brighten and clear the footage for better interpretation. Is that right? Yeah, I don't, I don't want to... Um present my footage in any doctored way myself. I don't want to zoom in and um, adjust the contrast because I've heard of other people that have been, you sort of damned if you do, damned if you don't, aren't you? Um, but I've heard of other people have done that and then people have criticised them for doctoring the footage. So I was hoping to just give the original in and then hoping that they'd be able to clear it up to give a, a solid answer to what it was. But I did have an inkling that it might have been a big cat at that point because of my own review of the footage. Unfortunately, as you've learnt, the press are not normally not interested in trying to clarify things before it goes out to the public readership. They just feel, this is a big cat headline, it's a trending subject, we're going to get lots of hits on it, who cares what reaction there is, it's just going to be a debating point, we're just going to relay what's come to us. Is that how you felt it turned out in the end as well? Yeah, absolutely. And it's um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, part of the reason why I sent it into the papers was to uh, provide them with a different story to COVID, which has been obviously dominating the uh, tabloids and the headlines. So I thought it might intrigue people and um, provide some entertainment. I was disappointed with the, the story that I told. Very little of it was uh, included. Like I say, they even got the date wrong of the walk. They got my description of the animal wrong. And there was a, a mix-up with them saying that I saw a tail and then hypothesising that it might be a lynx, which obviously don't have tails, or not like I described. I think it was, like you say, an attempt to sell the headline and to provoke the debate. What were your reactions to the comments at the end of the press stories? I thought they were brilliant. I, f I found them very entertaining. My, uh, my favourite one was um, something along the lines of, oh dear Tom, it seems you've filmed this with a potato. We had a good chuckle about that. Yeah, like you say, at the same time, people criticising my ability to use a phone when they don't seem to have the ability to use their brains. Like you say, if you haven't got the light, you can't get a picture. There's a reason why the paparazzi use big telescopic lenses still, despite all of this marvellous technology we have at our fingertips, because there's only so much that you can do with a phone.
Well, it's good that you didn't get grumpy about the feedback. So you you remained thick-skinned and you saw the funnier side of it. I think that's just how you have to deal with these things. I think you're onto a, a loser as soon as you've got into the press like that. You're fair game for just lots and lots of nitpicking and um, spiteful, silly, juvenile comments, unfortunately. Well, I knew that going in. And like I say, half of the reason why I presented the footage to the press was to, so that people would be entertained. Well, on to the reaction you got from the more experienced sort of big cat people from some people in my email groups. I think they were very robust but polite and you were very dignified in your response. How did you find all of that um, toing and froing? I found that an exceptionally fun experience. They were a good bunch of characters. It was a little awkward over email because um, I felt like they were trying to qualify and uh, protect my feelings a little bit which was extremely kind and extremely nice of them. And, and uh, I think half of the emails were me um, saying, please, no, this is fantastic. You know, please share your opinions. And this is why I shared the footage with the press, because I was wanting somebody to give me an answer to what I'd seen. Everybody was very matter of fact. You know, nobody held anything back. And we all had a fantastically fun discussion with it, which was brilliant. I'm glad that my input was able to help. It's good you took it in that spirit. We got into debates, didn't we, about the weight they were giving to your observation and your emotion. Now, you'd expect me to give some weight to the witness's observation and emotions because I run a podcast on on that very nature. So I'm hardly going to say witnesses' observations don't count. But I fully also accept that witnesses don't get it right all the time or they can be unsure. And any clarification and talking it through is helpful. And that's sort of what you were doing. You got a variety of opinions, didn't you, of interpretations. You got dogs uh, as as a sort of um, conclusion. You got foxes mating as a conclusion. You got it wasn't a big cat, but I'm not quite sure what it was as a conclusion. And you got it might be a big cat. Tom might be right as a conclusion. So you got the spectrum. But what did you learn from those range of views? Hopefully that you saw that people were trying to be objective. They weren't just trying to nitpick they were trying to justify why they thought it was what they what they were concluding absolutely there were no empty opinions there at all everyone had merit and uh, justification i think the most helpful thing that i got from that was the link that one of your colleagues sent me to uh, fox's mating because a different link not my footage um, showed footage of other foxes mating because the positioning of the one fox was very similar And that made me go away and look at my own footage again. But personally, for me, it just didn't seem quite right. The positioning and size of the other animal. I think that's when we started to get into the discussion that I saw the animal across the foreground of the picture, the possible big cat in question. And yeah, it didn't seem quite right. However, it was very illuminating at the time to discuss the mating rituals of foxes. And uh, like I said earlier, I knew that foxes got locked in, but I had absolutely no idea that they were capable of such um, manoeuvring in that position. What about the issue of the potential tail? One of the stills shows a potential tail going high and looping looping back a little bit. There's a judgment that actually that is a bit of vegetation behind, but it coincidentally seems to link to the rump of the animal, cat or fox or whatever. And so it's not a tale. What was your conclusion on that? When I presented that to yourself in the group, I think I did say that this looks like it might be vegetation behind the tail. Looking back at my footage, I still think you can see the very top of the tail articulating away from that vegetation if you go frame by frame. 
it sort of loops over to the left in the one frame, then comes up to the straight as you progress onto the next frame. I think it's coincidental that it is illuminated um, and highlighted by the vegetation behind it, because then as I followed the animals behind the undergrowth, that's when I started to see the tail. It may not show in the video, which is very unfortunate, but that's when I started to notice it, which I suppose goes back to your earlier point about the weight of the witness being there. Yeah. To try to get an objective view of what it was. But at the same time, it doesn't help the rest of everybody else who weren't able to see that. Initially, your judgment was it's a big cat predation and jerking away its prey, most likely. Are you still with that? I think there's a danger of over-reviewing. I tried to give myself some breaks in between reviewing and uh, answering queries because you start to get jumbled up in your head and that's the problem with recall. At the start, I was, like I said, at the time, not sure what I was looking at. Now, after reviewing all the theories and trying to be as objective with them as possible, I still think there stands a chance that it was a big cat. The one area that has helped is in review. It seems like the food item animal was a fox, and that's become more clarified in my mind that that food animal was a fox and it was being attacked by something else, which leads me to think that possibly a big cat. Like I said, the positioning of the animals for foxes and the size of the one animal I can't see that from my review of the footage. And dogs, um, although it was discussed in the group, I don't think it was dogs because of the lack of owner, the lack of noise, and my dog's reaction. He's not that scared of dogs. <laughs> the food item being the fox and the, and the white blob bouncing up and down, that was a really tricky thing to judge, wasn't it? Because I know initially several of us went for, is that the backside of a roe deer? Is a, is a roe deer being predated here? But there was, of course, no real roe deer's body. So you're going for that white blob being the tip of a fox's brush tail, are you? Yes. That would still be the case if it was foxes mating, wouldn't it, of course? Yes, absolutely. That's why the video link that your colleague sent me was uh, quite helpful, because the position of that fox mirrors the position that it was in the mating video as well. At the time when I was reviewing the footage, the white blob at the top of that was really throwing me. At one point, I think I said to yourself, I thought it was possibly a deer that was being dragged sideways and that was potentially a hoof. But then why would that hoof be white? I was just trying to make sense of what I was seeing. But after that video of the fox's mating, that positioning of the fox really made sense. And in reviewing it even more, there's a very fox-like face on one of the frames for that prey animal. So yes, I'm fairly certain that that is a fox now. We're going to do Words of the Week as Occam's Razor. Just to sort of introduce Occam's Razor, it's interesting we haven't had it so far on the podcast series. And Occam's Razor, as a lot of people will know, is a concept term used in philosophy and science to basically say when you're considering options about what event has happened the more complex you make it, the more difficult it is to make the judgment and the more unlikely your conclusion will be that it's the most complex outcome. So keep things simple. And it's normally in any event, the simplest explanation is what has happened. What I would say to that is that you've still got to make a lot of judgments. The judgment would depend on what weight you would give the witness themselves and what weight you would give to 
the dog being terrified. So I don't think Occam's razor necessarily helps with this, but it's still an important concept to think about. And the razor bit, Occam's razor, I think is about you're trying to cut away all the surplus material that's cluttering your thoughts to get to the simple, most rational consideration. In a way, I guess you'd say that's what you've done, Tom. You have applied Occam's razor to all of this. Yes, I've tried to. I was familiar with Occam's razor, having studied religious studies and philosophy. So I I suppose that really does shape the way I think about things. So, yeah, I think at the time that might have been what was obstructing me from seeing what I might have been able to see otherwise, because being able to see a big cat in the wild in this country is not something that my brain can compute or process, because everybody knows, in inverted commas, that big cats aren't in this country. That's the popular theory. So my brain was trying to make sense of what I was seeing at the time in terms that it could understand. And like you say, Occam's razor will only get us so far because it's not impossible that big cats are in this country. The evidence, now that I'm becoming more familiar with it, is very intriguing. You know, we've got sightings all over the UK and more and more sightings. And you've got people walking around with smartphones and being able to take pictures and We're seeing more and more evidence, which is really interesting. But with that evidence coming out, the Occam's Razor principle favours the theory that big cats do exist in the UK at some point. Whether we're there or not yet is is another question. Yeah, so you're basically saying that the consideration of a presence of a big cat has got to be in the equation for Occam's Razor when you're making a judgment about what you've seen. Yeah, as much as everything else, my dog's terror, the witness weights, etc. Yeah. And you were saying to me on email that this incident has now got you sort of thinking about big cats and looking for tracks and evidence. So your mind's on alert for it now. How is that influencing you as a dog walker and as just a person you know, getting recreation in the outdoors? I tend to go on quite a few dog walks. I'm a quite responsible dog owner. I like the natural side of things because of the sighting of delved a little bit into that world and uh, it's becoming a little bit of a hobby you know I see loads and loads of dog tracks around the park I'm keeping my eyes on the ground looking around for signs because of my work I can't always walk my dog in the daylight though so it's making me more aware around dusk particularly when he's off the lead at the same time just going back to the tabloids um, sensationalizing things they have a habit of sensationalizing through fear and um, if the, the science can tell us anything is that the sorts of big cats that are being hypothesized as existing in the world in the UK avoid humans. So there's nothing to fear. It's just interesting and intrigue. Does it um, add positively to your experience of going in the outdoors or are you on edge or do you not like having to be on alert for big cats, even though they're not necessarily going to threaten you? How, how does it make you feel as a human being emotionally to be on alert for big cats now? I wouldn't say on alert. I'm not alarmed by the thought of coming across a big cat in the wild. Intrigued, yes. It's making me practice my track recognising skills. I've started listening out to see if I can distinguish any puma-like sounds instead of birds. It's intriguing. It's, uh, it's fun. I like the sense of mystery. I love a good mystery. So part of me wants uh, another conclusive sighting to happen. But uh, another part of me just wants the intrigue and the mystery and the fun to continue. 
What do you think about the potential of these cats naturalising in Britain more widely, not just being the odd few in, in Leicestershire near you? I think it's interesting that there are sightings going back years, wherever, wherever you look, really. The main ones have been talked about quite extensively in the press for quite a while, but uh, around my small neck of the woods, we do have people locally. And when I've, when I've walked um, my dog around the park since, I have seen some regular dog walkers I would have said hello to before. And I've, uh, if they're small dogs, I have gone and said to them, oh, just be careful, you know, if you're ever walking around here at dusk, I think I might have seen a big cat. <laughs> as a conversation starter, as much as a warning, it's interesting. And what kind of reaction have you had when you've um, opened up that conversation with people? Mixed or is there a trend? Or The trend seems to be that, that nobody's particularly surprised. They're all um, taking it in very much in their stride saying, oh yeah, that's the panther, that's from the Burstall Railroad track. So yeah, he comes around every couple of years or so. That's just what Nigel Spence has been saying, the guy who's a sort of long-term recorder and investigator for Leicestershire. Is that known about because people have read about it in the press or just word of mouth or a bit of both, do you think? It seems to be word of mouth. Um, when I've been talking to people, they've been saying, oh, yeah, didn't your daughter say that she saw one down the, you know, or daughter's friend of a friend of a friend? And yeah, it seems to be mostly word of mouth. Let's say it was definitely a big cat, like a puma, because I think you're going for a puma if it was a big cat, aren't you, rather than a black panther. You feel it wasn't a black uh, leopard type one it was more like a sandy brown puma yes that's right yeah one of the things the paper said was that it was a dark animal but no i definitely saw a tawny sandy colored animal and the presence of the tail would lead me to think puma rather than lynx if it was a puma like cat attacking a fox in a country park which is regularly used by lots and lots of local dog walkers it's back to what you were saying, that these cats keep themselves to themselves and don't threaten us. And it's right skulking right on the edge of the park, literally in the shadows of the park, going for natural prey and leaving the humans and the dogs alone. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I really don't think there's any reason to fear. Just as a, a new dog owner, I think my protective instincts came out and I was a little concerned. But you've got to think about the range that these animals cover as well. The chances that I'm ever going to see that animal again are very, very small. I think um, most people would instinctively be a little bit more concerned if they had a smaller dog that was run away from its owners and investigated the scrub on the edge of the park. A cat might see that as fair game in certain circumstances, so there is that perhaps slight risk. You've been discussing that with some of the dog owners, haven't you? Uh, yeah, that's right. That's exactly the sort of behaviour that my dog does. He's always off on little side nests, as we call them, into the undergrowth. I guess some dogs become alert to potential big cats being around and others are completely naive and, and will remain naive. It's, you just don't know that, how to read them, do you? Unless you know that they've got some experience by having seen how they react when you can see a big cat as well. Yes, yeah. I think we're largely done, Tom, and I'm very grateful to you for sharing all of this. I'm sure listeners are as well, because it is a tricky one. It's so frustrating that that footage is so tantalising, and I think you'd excuse people making different interpretations, wouldn't you? Because you you know it's subject to different explanations. Is there any final thing you want to say to listeners? Any any other points you want to make that you don't think we've covered so far? Like you've just touched on i wanted to apologize for the frustratingly tantalizing footage 
it was a great chance to possibly get more conclusive proof and it didn't happen. The only other thing I'd want to say is thank you to you and for your email group for all of your very, very kind support. Well, it's good to have you as sort of one of the gang, I think. Uh, Keep watching out and let us know if anything else occurs. And I hope you get a chance to speak to Nigel Spencer. I will, if you haven't so far, I would like to introduce you to him because he can tell you about the disused railway line and that area. It's North Leicester we're talking about, isn't it? But it's it's still right on the edge of the big city, isn't it? Uh, Yes, yeah. We're quite fortunate where we live. We've got the city right there, but we've also got lovely green spaces all around us. And uh, it just gets greener as you go further afield from the country park. You can go all the way over to Bradgate Park, famously a deer park. And then you've got open countryside after that. It's a beautiful area. And all good for a big cat that might be there occasionally. So Yeah, absolutely. Well, lovely to hear from you, Tom. Thanks very much for coming on Big Cat Conversations and all the best. Thank you. You too. Righto, we're nearly finished, so a quick note on the next couple of shows coming up. We are now preparing the much-promised episode from Ireland. We'll be hearing about two encounters, and one of them is a pretty edgy case of the guests being followed, and of course there are lessons and talking points from what happened. Also coming up soon, we'll be hearing a case which just happened in early March in a garden in a residential area in south-east England. That is a really close-up encounter. Our guest was right next to the cat when it showed up at night, and it might make you think twice about having catnip in your garden. Meanwhile, from Australia, episode 7 of Missing Panther podcast is now out. It's a follow-up show about sightings in Victoria, in southeast Australia, and for those of you who like conspiracies about DNA and public bodies evading the subject, well, there's a neat example revealed in that particular show. Missing Panther podcast is popular with many of our listeners. It's well worth checking out if you don't know it. Finally, a big thank you to the BBC Radio 4 programme, Ramblings, because they hosted me on a recent show. It was splendid to do a walk in Gloucestershire with the show's host, Claire Balding, talking about big cat encounters, and she mentioned her own sighting back in 2014 in the Wye Valley. Obviously, they couldn't fit in everything we discussed through the walk, but the Big Cat episode of Ramblings is linked on our website under episode 46, and you should be able to find it on the Refs and Links page, or you can get it from a web search and type in Radio 4 Ramblings Big Cats. OK, it's time to sign off now, so many thanks again to Matt and to Tom, our guests, for this show, and thanks everyone for listening in. If you're hearing this on schedule, we'll be back as usual in two weeks' time. Meanwhile, take care and bye for now.